0: Uh, morning. Um, so the first reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. So that's Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh, Bath near by the Mount Seir road. In the fourth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who resigned in Heshbon, and at Adre had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, And to their descendants after them.
1: So, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Moses is speaking. Then we turned back and set out towards the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea, as the Lord had directed me. For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You've made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. Give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau, who, lives in, who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I've given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat, And the water you drink. Then the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything.
2: And lastly, from Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 21 to 29, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. At that time, I gave Joshua this charge. You have seen for yourself everything the Lord your God has done to these two kings. He will do the same to all the kingdoms on the west side of the Jordan. Do not be afraid of the nations there, for the Lord your God will fight for you. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, You've only begun to show your greatness and the strength of your hand to me, your servant. Is there any God in heaven or on earth who can perform such great and mighty deeds as you do? Please, let me cross the Jordan to see the wonderful land on the other side, the beautiful hill country and the Lebanon mountains. But the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he would not listen to me. That's enough, he declared. Speak of it no more, but go up to Pisgah Peak and look over the land in every direction. Take a good look, but you may not cross the Jordan River. Instead, commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead the people across the Jordan. He will give them all the land you now see before you as their possession. So he stayed in the valley near Beth Peor.
3: I want to ask you this morning to take a moment and think about where you have come from. Where have you come from? Now, you might take me literally and you might think about this morning and the house that you woke up in, uh, the people that you were with, how you got here to to our gathering. Or you might think more broadly of what the last week has held, where you're coming from out of uh, the work and the study and the family and the neighbourhood stuff you've been doing. You might even think a bit more big picture and metaphorically about where you've come from in life, where you're at, your background, your story, all the things that have shaped you and brought you to this current season. But I wanna ask you to think about what it means for you to take a moment and remember where you have come from. Now, I want you to take a moment to think about where you're going. Again, you can take this literally and think about what you're doing for lunch today, uh, where you're heading, what the rest of this day will hold, or you might think about the coming week and what's on your agenda and your radar, what you're looking forward to or what you're dreading, what's coming up. And of course, again, you might think about the big picture, where you are going in life, what are your plans and your dreams, what are you longing for, what's next for you, What is still to come? What comes to mind when you take a moment to anticipate where you are going? Now, thirdly, I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you to take both your feet and place them firmly flat on the floor, wherever you are sitting or standing right now. And then look down at your feet because this is where you are right now. You are shaped by where you have come from and you are anticipating where you are going, but right here and right now, your feet have placed you here. Pay attention to this moment. Be present where we are right now. You can look up again if you want, or look around. It's important to look back and to remember, to celebrate the good things and to learn from the mistakes. And it's really helpful to look forward, to anticipate, to make plans and name our intentions and our longings. But I know about you, I find if if I'm not careful, we can spend all our time looking back and looking forward and miss the importance of being right here where we are now. What is happening in this moment? How do we pay attention to this time where we get to share together with these people, where we sing these particular songs and hear these words and know that God is present with us as his people, that God is speaking to us as his people, revealing himself to us right here and right now. This book of Deuteronomy starts with a moment of looking back and looking forward, In the first three chapters, which we've just had a a bit of an overview of, Moses is basically recounting the story of where the people of Israel have come from, which leads them to praise God for his faithfulness in walking beside them and urges them to learn from the mistakes that they have made along the way. And he also in these chapters begins to look forward to what God has in store for his people, naming some of the sadnesses of what is not going to happen, particularly for Moses himself, but also anticipating with hope the great new adventure that lies before them. But these three chapters of Deuteronomy are also about paying attention to the very real present moment where their feet are standing right now. The people of God are gathered together on the banks of the Jordan River with their feet firmly placed on the ground In this day in history, listening to God speak to them right now through his servant Moses, even as they stand on the edge between what has been and what is still to come. The people of God in these first few chapters of Deuteronomy find themselves in what you might call a liminal space, a space in between, not what was and not yet what will be. If you haven't um, heard or explored this word liminal before, it's actually a word that comes from a Latin word, limon, which just means a threshold or an entrance, a doorway, the place between one thing and another, both an entrance and an exit. And it's a word that gets used to try and name something of what it's like to find ourselves in between, knowing that where we are now is not where we have been, nor is it yet where we will be but paying attention in the moment and not rushing too quickly one way or the other. And I was thinking there's a sense in which every time we gather together as the people of God, every Sunday, we experience something of a liminal space because we look forward and we look back, but we listen to what God is wanting to say to us right now in this moment. We sing songs that recall what God has been doing in the past, but also songs that hope what God still has for us, The Christian church is a community that lives in liminality between what God has already done in King Jesus and what he is yet to do in the renewing of all things. And we've actually noticed the word liminal being used a little bit more this year in 2020 as we find ourselves in an unexpected liminal space. We know that the world has changed. Things are not what they were last year and yet we're not quite sure where they're going and what it is going to be like. We find ourselves in this moment in between. And so this is actually one of the reasons why we wanted to spend some time in the book of Deuteronomy. A book which is in the end all about God's people being grounded in a particular time and a particular place. And listening to his voice as he speaks, his invitation and his exhortation and finding in his words their identity and their mission. We want to ask, how does the message of Deuteronomy speak into our time and our place? About who we are and what God is calling us to next? And today as we kick off this series with these first three chapters of Deuteronomy, it is about standing on the edge in this liminal space, spending time both looking back and looking forward and hopefully meeting God in the moment in between. So let me tell you a little bit about this book, Deuteronomy. You might have read it before. I know if you're in Sophie's Gospel group, you have literally just started reading it right now. Um, If you haven't read it or if you haven't read it for a while, we'd love you to join us in reading it over the next few weeks. Basically, if you take about a chapter a day of Deuteronomy over the next uh, six weeks of this series, you'll, you'll pretty much finish reading it about the time we finish our teaching series on it. We wanted to spend some time digging into this book because it's part of God's Word. And we want to keep wrestling with how God speaks through all of the Bible to us today. And we want to keep talking about what it means for us to be the people of God, to be His family and community together. But also, our preaching team has had a shared sense of God's Spirit leading us to this book for this season. So we're trusting that it's going to resonate for us. It's part of the big story of God that we are all caught up in. But this idea of standing on the edge in the liminal space particularly seemed to resonate for where we find ourselves in the world and maybe where we find ourselves as a church. So Deuteronomy takes place after the people of God, Israel, have been rescued by God from oppression in Egypt. They are miraculously saved by his grace. They taken out, crossed the Red Sea in another miracle of God, and brought into being as a community. And then God gave them his word, his Torah at Mount Sinai, which was a gift to bless them and to guide them so that they might live out what it looks like to be in relationship with this God together. And God has promised them a land, a place, a gift, a real grounded context where they can live out their faith together in practice, but... They have also just experienced 40 years of wandering in the wilderness due to their lack of trust in God's promises and his presence. A whole generation of meandering rootlessness, of regrets and wasted opportunities. And now they find themselves again standing on the edge of the promised land. Not what they were, but not yet where they are going. And so in this in-between moment, Moses, now an old man, preaches his final sermon to God's people. And through his words recorded in this book, he readies them to take the next step, to live out their identity as God's people in their time and place. There's invitation and inclusion for everyone to be a part of this, and there's an exhortation to obedience and faithful living, and there's an acknowledgement of the consequences of not doing that and what they will miss out on. And so in many ways, the book of Deuteronomy is a sermon, which makes it a lot of fun for people like me to teach because it's already Moses' sermon. You don't need to do too much with it. Basically, Moses opens up God's word for them and he unpacks and explains what God has already said in God's heart and his character and his purposes. And then he calls the people to respond to renew their allegiance to the God whom they follow, to choose life in this generation, in this moment, in this time and place. Deuteronomy is also part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, sometimes known as the law. I'm not sure if that's a helpful word. Certainly, this book includes instruction and teaching on how to live life God's mm. way, but it is so much more than that. The words of the law are applied to their time and place and they are encouraged and exhorted to put them into practice with an imagination and a vision of hope that they are called to. We might be tempted to think of the Old Testament laws as boring. I teach Old Testament, I've heard it before. (laughs) And rigid and irrelevant. But I hope what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that they are anything but that. In fact, the ancient Hebrew text of Deuteronomy was written with musical notations, suggesting that the people people sung this book and delighted in it for generations. It's actually also sometimes been likened to a constitution, which is an interesting metaphor, but that idea that it's a nation-forming document, a people-forming document, a community-forming document, as it provides inspiration and imagination for God's people to see themselves as a collective community, to name and to own and to celebrate what it means to be family to one another in Him. And finally, one of the Interesting, I say interesting, strange, maybe a little bit nerdy uh, features, noticeable in the book in the Hebrew language is that it constantly switches between the singular and plural second person pronouns. Now, might need to take a moment to get your head around that if you're not a grammar nerd like me. But all that means is that in Hebrew there are two different words for you. There's a word for you individually and there's a word for yous collectively. We only have one word in English. And so right throughout the Bible, this is true. Um, One of the challenges we have in English is that we have to make sure we're understanding when it's talking to you and when it's talking to you, as in all of us. But what happens in Deuteronomy, weirdly, is that Moses switches back and forth between the two words all the time, sometimes even in the same sentence. So one second he's talking to you, and then he's talking to you, and then he's talking to you, and he's talking to you. The idea seems to be that what is true for the individual... true for the community. That being part of God's family is an identity we carry both when we're together and when we are alone. Who we are shapes who I am and what I am called to is what we are called to. So the big idea of Deuteronomy, if you get nothing else but it's on the slide, is that what it means to be God's people Is lived out in a particular time and place. For this particular generation, they're about to enter into the promised land, and so it needs to be worked out in practice right where they are, grounded in their context and their community. But for us, we also live as God's people in our time, in our generation, our season, our place. And so we need to figure out in practice what it means to live this out in this community, in this neighbourhood, in this city where our feet stand right now. So for Israel in this moment, in this liminal space, first they look back. And looking back means recounting how they got to where they are now. So Moses retells their story, which includes plenty of ups and downs. There are miraculous victories of God and then there are these kind of passive treaties that they enter into that seem a bit... uh, There is great trust on behalf of the people as they step into what God has unafraid, and then there is significant weakness as they stuff it up. Their journey to this point has been messy and complicated, but in looking back, what they see is that God's hand has been at work through all the ups and downs. They can remember and celebrate God's faithfulness, even as they recall their own faithlessness. In just the second verse of the book of Deuteronomy, I think we have what is one of the saddest statements in the whole Bible. You might have missed it because it came in that section that Kate read with all the names. Well done, Kate, good job. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a bit confusing, but it says this, verse two of Deuteronomy says this, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. So what? It takes 11 days to get from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. Where's that? Well, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. That was the place where God gathered his people together after he'd rescued them from slavery and appeared to them in fire and thunder and spoke in a voice that they heard from the heavens and revealed his word, his Torah, his law to them. He declared his salvation and his invitation to follow him. And then it's instructions for how to live as his people. Horeb is the place where they committed themselves to God and said, yes, we are going to follow you. We are going to live as your people. And we're going to go where you lead us. That was Horeb. 11 days journey from them is Kadesh Barnea. That's pretty much where they are right now. Right on the southern edge of the land that God has promised to them. So this seems like a pretty simple fact of ancient traveling times. It takes 11 days to get from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. I looked it up this week on Google Maps, it's about 430 kilometers, so today it'd take you about five hours in a car, but it's probably around 11 days walking if you walk at a pace of about five k's an hour and you you walk for seven hours a day. It's about 11 days. Here's the thing, it has taken them 40 years to get from Horeb to Gadesh Barnea. 40 years to walk an 11-day journey. That is incredibly sad. Not because they are ridiculously slow walkers, but because of their lack of faith, because of their disobedience, because they walked away from God's heart and his promises. It seems like such a waste All that time, they could have been living out their calling as God's people in the place that God had prepared for them. Do you ever look back on your life and think, why did it take so long for me to get to where I know God wanted me to be? Do you think about the mistakes you've made and regret not learning from them more quickly? And yet Moses isn't on about beating them up for their mistakes. Because while he wants to acknowledge the gap between what could have been and what has been, what Moses does is actually talk them through all the amazing things that God has done in that time. Even though they didn't need to take 40 years, God has still been with them and he has fought for them and guided them and revealed himself to them and rescued them again and again and again through all of that time. Even through their mistakes, God has been at work. Even when we have strayed from the path that God has called us to, God walks beside us. He calls us back. He invites us. He brings His power and mercy to bear in every situation. And so, looking back is not about regrets, it definitely includes acknowledging and confessing and learning from the mistakes we have made but it's also about remembering and celebrating the faithfulness of God even in our weakness. When you look back at where you have come from, you can see how it has shaped you, how God has been able to use all the ups and downs, all the hard things as part of his calling and purpose. There is a sadness for Israel in naming where they have come from because they see their own frailty and weakness. They can't be too proud or boastful of themselves when this is their reality. But there's also great beauty in declaring God's provision and seeing how he was at work in ways that they probably didn't even realize at the time. And so I wonder how often you stop, we stop and look back. When do we take the time to name where we have come from? Are we telling one another the difficult stories? naming our weaknesses and mistakes so that we can see how God has worked to rescue and restore and so that we see how we've been shaped and are called to live and learn as we move forward? When are we declaring to one another God's faithfulness in ways that we can only now see when we look back, when we take a moment to pause and remember? I wonder what stories we need to be telling one another here and now in this moment. It might be stories from the last few days, ways that you have been learning and growing in faith and practice, situations where God has been at work without you noticing until you pause and look back. It might be the stories of our lives, how God has rescued us out of sin and darkness, times and places where we didn't know him or weren't walking in his ways. It might be recounting the unchanging faithfulness of King Jesus through all the ups and downs of seeking to follow him day by day. But remember, the yous are not just individual. What are the stories that we as a community need to remember and recount and retell to one another? How has God been at work even in the ups and downs of this year in our church family? I think of the ways that God spoke to us through the prophet Jeremiah in lamenting and confessing the difficulties and the darknesses and the ways we practice shalom and hope in things like chalk and toilet paper. I think of the generosity of our family to one another in the uncertain economic season. And I think of the fun that we shared at Casey's crazy quiz night and the community that we found in online gospel groups and how God has been at work in and through all of that. What might it be for you and us? And how can we tell the bigger stories of our church family through generations of God's faithfulness, even when this community was a tiny gathering wondering what the future might hold? Or we can tell the bigger stories about God's faithfulness to his church throughout history and around the globe through wars and persecution, times of enlightenment and times of darkness, times of famine and prosperity. And we can tell the even bigger story about the faithfulness of our God through generations of kings and prophets, poets and wisdom tellers, and above all in the sending of his son and his life and his teaching and his death and his resurrection. Because being part of God's family means that these are our stories. The story of the church throughout history, the story of the Bible is our story. And we need to keep retelling it and recounting and remembering because it shapes who we are. And it declares who our God is. And so just like this new generation standing on the edge of the promised land in Deuteronomy, we are caught up in realising that this is our story and we are invited to live it out in our time and our place. So we look back and it's actually in looking back that we are enabled to look forward with renewed vision and imagination, with intention so that we can recommit ourselves to the God that we follow and to who we are as his people. Looking forward is about preparing and anticipating what God still has for us. It's about giving him our allegiance now so that when we take the next step, we will know that we are walking with him and he will guide us and lead us. And it's about living with longing and expectation and hope. We might not know exactly what the future holds, but we can step into it with confidence because we know who we are And we know the God who has called us to be his people. And so at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 3, we get a couple of glimpses of what comes next. But really, the whole rest of the book, the whole rest of Moses' sermon is about working that out in practice. And so we've got the next few weeks to unpack and explore that. There is great excitement and anticipation at what comes next, even though they can't quite imagine what it will actually look like until they get there. I don't know about you, but that's certainly been my experience of how God tends to work in my life. He doesn't usually give me a roadmap or a picture of where he is taking me. I've never known what it's going to look like until I've got there, but God prepares me by reminding me of who I am in him and of his calling to live as a disciple of King Jesus. And so then as the next steps unfold one by one, that's what keeps me walking with him and looking forward to what is to come. And it also keeps me, I guess, trusting and able to to do the things that I never dreamed I would have been able to do and probably would have run away from it if it actually showed me where it was going to take me. That's been true of me. I think that's been true of us as a church here at Richmond and throughout the history of the church worldwide. When we spent time in February this year, that seems so long ago, when we were back in meeting in our building in February this year, we did a series looking at the big story of God reflecting on some artworks to help us do that. And we had no idea at that time what was about to come. We thought this year was just going to look pretty similar to last year. But holding on to that story through the next few months, I think, gave us confidence in our calling. When we spent time in Jeremiah the Prophet's words, when we were all meeting in our homes via Zoom, we didn't know if or when we'd be back together in person, And we didn't imagine it being here at the school. But God was preparing us to think about our neighbourhood and how we can be a part of it and how we can bring signs of peace and hope into our community. And now we get to see some of that worked out in practice. When a very small group of people, I think there were 12, met for the first time as Richmond Baptist 125 years ago, there is no way they could have imagined what this church family would look like, what it would grow to be. But they stepped forward with confidence and faithfulness in their mission and their calling. And when Jesus called a ragtag bunch of 12 fishermen and tax collectors, zealots and sons of thunder to follow him, they couldn't have dreamed how God was going to be at work through the community that they began to transform the world. Looking forward isn't about knowing all the answers or having a picture of exactly what the future will look like. It's about knowing who we are as the people of God and knowing that we are called to live that out in this time and place. And the beauty of the story of God is that each new generation is invited to embody and practice that same identity and mission in new ways, for their time. So, what does it look like for you? What does it look like for you, for us, for the people of God to be in this time and this place? There's a tinge of sadness as we get to the very end of chapter 3 in Deuteronomy because we are reminded and the people are reminded that Moses, their great leader, He's been leading them for around 80 years by now. Won't be going into the promised land with them. It's an acknowledgement of human frailty that even this amazing leader of God's people, known in his time as the most humble man who ever lived, made mistakes along the way. Even he won't be with them forever. And in God's graciousness, Moses is given a glimpse. He gets to see a little bit what most people don't get. He's given a glimpse of what God is taking to them them to. He's shown the promised land so that he might see with his own eyes the tangible expression, the concrete demonstration of God's faithfulness to his promises. But he's not going to go in there. God has been raising up a new leader in Joshua who God is going to strengthen and encourage to lead them into the next season because God's purposes never depend on a single person. Even if our leaders change, God's calling and mission for us as his people remains. And so as I was thinking about what it means for us to be God's people in our time and place, right here, right now, as Richmond family, I know there are some among us who can look back and see much more of our shared story than I can. There are those who have been part of this church for many, many years and they can tell the stories of generations with all their ups and downs and perhaps some of those look forward knowing that they will not be with us for all of what is to come. We want to honour you and listen to your stories well so that we might give thanks and praise to God and might learn and be shaped by them. And we are so grateful to have you with us now in this season. I also know that there are some of you who haven't been part of this family for very long at all. And so when you look back, it's only to the very recent past. And maybe you're not sure yet how you've been shaped and how you will be part of the next steps moving forward. We want to encourage you to listen well to our shared stories. And we're so excited that you're with us for this moment this time in this place and we want to invite you as we invite all of us to invite to sorry to imagine and to dream how we can participate in what God is preparing us for in the future because we all need one another to be who God has called us to be and to follow King Jesus into whatever he has for us next so as we spend these next few weeks in Deuteronomy my prayer is that we will embrace sitting in the moment being in the liminal space, in the in-between of where we've come from and where we are going, and that in that space we would hear God speak to us together. So this morning, I want to invite you to do something. I want to ask you to share some stories with one another, and I'm going to get you to do that for a moment, but even after this part of our gathering is over and we continue to gather over coffee, I want to challenge you. If you've been at Richmond for a while to find someone who is newer. And if you're newer to Richmond, to find someone who's been here for a while, or at least longer than you, and have a conversation about where we've come from and what your sense is of where we are going. Because that is the invitation of these first few chapters of Deuteronomy. It's not just something you can sit and listen to me talk about. It's something we need to practice in this moment, in this place, in this family, together. So let me pray. King Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself throughout history, in real places, in real time, in real people's lives. And the story that you have been unfolding, the purpose and the plan and the invitation that you have been revealing is our story too. And we pray that as we listen to these words from Deuteronomy, that we might be caught up In what that means to be your people in this time and in this place for us as a community as a family here at Richmond for us as individuals as we live this out in our lives day to day we ask you to speak to us speak to us through your spirit speak to us through your word as we read it speak to us through the messages as we listen and speak to us through one another as we share time together as family and tell the stories and ask where you are leading us next. We pray that we might hear your voice, God, just as the people of this generation heard your voice on the edge of the promised land, to celebrate what you have done, to look forward to what you will do, and to be present with you right here and right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.